As we start to consider and for some make the transition from quarantine life back into our everyday life outside of social isolation, we can't help but think about if, how, and when we'll be experiencing the COVID-19 virus if we haven't already. And if you've got kids, you may be similarly concerned about how we'll experience the virus and what you can do to protect yourself and them so that we can be as resilient as possible for whatever the future holds. That's what we're discussing on this episode of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. Welcome to the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show, where each week you will hear the real-world experiences, life lessons, and guided principles that every highly driven man needs to master, their health, productivity, and relationships by sharing conversations with the world's most successful people in fitness, nutrition, supplementation, and mindset. Meet your host, Benjamin Brown. He is a fitness and nutrition expert, consultant to Fortune 500 companies and world championship sports teams, a husband and father of three, and has been helping men transform their physiques, optimize their energy, and own their fatherly mission since 2005. Thank you for joining us today, and without further ado, let's jump right in. If you've been concerned about how to prepare yourself and your family for if and likely when COVID-19 hits your household, then you're in the right place. Today, I bring back Dr. Elisa Song, pediatric holistic physician and mother to two kiddos that were recently diagnosed with COVID-19 and one of whom was hospitalized due to his symptoms. In this episode, we discuss her experience with the virus as a doctor, as a clinician, and as a mother, and what she's done and continues to do within her family and for her patients that will not only help possibly protect them from getting sick, but also arm them with the necessary tools to know exactly what to do if and when they do get sick, not just with COVID-19, but any virus that comes along. Additionally, we discuss the severity of COVID-19 in kids and what are the myriad of symptoms and duration of illness one could expect, how this virus is much more contagious and potentially serious than the seasonal flu, what's happening at a cellular level with SARS-CoV-2 and ACE2 protection from lifestyle and supplementation. We talk about IgG antibody testing for those that have had the virus, when to get the testing and who needs it how to support your immune system through lifestyle and stress management, and the incredible and free resources that Dr. Song has created for families to teach them how to get and stay healthy during these times, as well as how to manage sickness when it comes by staying calm and being informed and educated. It's my pleasure to be able to share this interview with you, and I hope you guys enjoy it and learn as much as I did. If you did, then please leave me a five-star review and a positive rating in iTunes, and go ahead and share this with someone whom you think needs this type of reliable information right now. And if you're ready to talk about how to prioritize your own nutrition and fitness for your family and for your future, and you want the no BS step-by-step approach to help get you there, then let's chat. Just schedule your free nutrition strategy call at bslnutrition.com forward slash level up. There's no better way and time to take control of your life and your health than right now. Without further ado, here is Dr. Elisa Song. Dr. Elisa Song, welcome back to the Smart Nutrition Made Simple show. Thank you so much for coming back. Thanks, Ben. I'm so honored to be here and um, couldn't be at a better time, right? Because we need to get this information out. Yeah. And you're certainly a foremost resource for us, which is really why I wanted to expedite this interview and have you on now and get this interview out as quickly as possible. And uh, uh, just from so many different angles, one is you're you know, medically trained physician. You are a, a holistic minded clinician and you're a mama of two young kiddos who uh, have been sick previously with COVID-19. And so mm-hmm. I really just want to first just jump in and talk about your experience. Uh, why don't we just start with the kiddos and then kind of talk yeah. about how you were kind of were looking at all of this stuff as a clinician, as a physician, um, relative to everything going on. Yeah. You know, it was interesting because um, when my kids got sick with COVID-19, you know, in the back of my mind, part of me was like, well, why me? (laughs) You know, I've been, I've been doing all this stuff, right. Doing all this research, you know, getting the right supplements in 
so why did they get sick? And then it dawned on me, you know what? Okay, there is a plan for everything. And yes, they got sick, but the whole point of this flatten the curve is not that we will never ever get sick, mm. right? It's that we can slow things down enough that, that for those people who get really critically sick, there are enough ICU beds and hospital beds. And when I look through what happened with Kenzie and Bodie, it taught me so many lessons and they recovered so amazingly. You know, prior to them getting sick, I think, you know, I'd been a bit more complacent um, with some of their supplements and things that we'd been doing mm-hmm. because a lot of the reports were, oh, kids are quote immune. I had people right. writing me and saying they were shocked. They were saying, well, I thought kids couldn't get it or didn't get it or they were asymptomatic. And right. you know, right. as a, as a, right. And as the reports are coming out, we're finding um, that's actually not true. Kids are just presenting in different ways than adults at many times. Um, the new CDC reports have come out, you know, with, with new numbers now from New York and New Jersey uh, that have seen many more cases. And we're in Europe, of course, Italy and Spain, you know, that have been really so, um, so, you know, tragically affected. And they have many more kids who've been sick. And the estimates are that perhaps anywhere from up to 5.7% to 20% of kids with COVID-19 may need to be hospitalized. And now when I read that, my heart skipped a beat, right? And I thought, oh my goodness, what does this mean? That being said, if you're a mom or dad listening, um, don't panic because the vast majority of kids, even if they need to be hospitalized, they do well. They come out with no complications and, and they're, they're fine afterwards. It's just during that time we need to be prepared mm-hmm. on how to get our kids through the illness. And so that's where I dove into the research. And I was really blessed that, you know, the average length of stay, it looks like so far from the numbers of kids who are in the hospital is about 14 days. I mean, that's a two weeks. Now, two weeks is not two weeks of being really sick in the hospital. It's, you know, maybe getting oxygen and just waiting till things settle down. Um, but two weeks is a, is a long time. And so Bodhi was in the hospital for for less than two days and he bounced right back. And I'm convinced it's because of the prep work that I had done before to kind of really bolster his um, nutritional status and his immune system uh, and, um, and the things that we did when, when he started to get sick. So. Do you think that you know, we're not hearing about kids being hospitalized or, or kids even being sick because they're not being tested for it? So such a great point. I absolutely think so. In terms of the symptoms of COVID-19, right? Everyone's heard of the fever and the cough, Mm -hmm. the shortness of breath, the low oxygen. Certainly kids may present with that. Um, But, you know, increasing reports over the past, you know, even last week of these unusual findings in children, this rare, rare condition called Kawasaki disease that, that may, um, that may be linked and the Italian doctors and the UK doctors absolutely think it's linked to COVID-19 cases in children. Um, in fact, the, the National Health Service in London, uh, in England, the UK issued a report to all of its physicians last week saying, you know, as an alert to say, hey, look out for this because this may be how kids are presenting. So that's an unusual presentation. You know, Bodhi presented, he had fever and tummy aches. We're recognizing more and more that the GI symptoms, the tummy aches, yeah. the diarrhea, you know, are common, you know, in, in children and adults. Um, but certainly children are presenting sometimes with just, just really bad tummy aches, which is what Bodhi had. Um, and then the neurologic symptoms. So the headaches, the loss of sense of smell and taste, and even these unusual, you know, what I would call neuropsychiatric symptoms. So Bodhi, for the first two days of his illness, he had these um, auditory and visual hallucinations. He was hearing mm. like really mean voices saying bad words um, that he was really embarrassed to even admit to, you know, later. He? He's eight. And, right? and your and daughter so is? My daughter's 10. Okay. And we don't watch, you know, they don't do like, you know, shooter video games or, you know, they don't hear all that stuff. So, you know, he was really hearing these scary voices and he was seeing things. He was seeing the star mirrors on his wall. He was seeing them coming close and far, close and far. Um, And, you know, what's really interesting in, I live in the San Francisco Bay area um, and, you know, I trained at UCSF. So one of my um, very good friends is a neurologist at UCSF and um, they are finding this cluster of kids that are presenting with these unusual, you know, hallucinations, behavioral changes, and they're highly suspicious that that could be linked with COVID-19. Now, are all of them being tested? Not at the moment, because, you know, in retrospect, uh, I know that at UCSF, they're trying to get some of these patients to get tested for antibodies. Right. But at the moment, you know, a lot of people didn't think, oh, you know, should we test? Um, you know, the Kawasaki disease, I had a patient two weeks ago diagnosed with Kawasaki disease. This is the uh, first patient I've seen with Kawasaki disease in 
11 years. It's that rare, hmm. right? But now I have one patient and then a colleague of mine in the East Bay, another patient with Kawasaki disease. So did they test for COVID-19? No. So we're going to go back and test antibody testing. Now, that being said, you know, Kenzie did test positive for COVID-19, which is why when, when Bodhi got sick after her, you know, with these unusual symptoms, and, you know, he then did subsequently develop a cough and his oxygen level started to drop, which is why I brought him to the hospital. Um, but he tested negative on nasal swab every single test. And none of the doctors in the ER, none of the, you know, infectious disease doctors at UCSF believe that because right. the nose swab, right, the nasal and mouth swab that we're all you know, relying on and wondering, should I get tested for that if I feel sick? It has a high false negative rate. So, you know, a lot of the docs on the front lines are saying, look, if it looks like COVID, you know, if it acts like COVID, then presume it's COVID. It's just a little confusing now because we're seeing these different symptoms of uh, presentation. Um, But I think that we can really um, attribute all of that to the mechanism of how SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, enters our body. Um, But the tests really, you know, as far as the nose swabs go, I don't know. I mean, parents ask me, should I get tested? My kid has a fever, my kid has a cough. If you get tested, a positive is definitely valuable, right? Then, you know, know, a false positive is really unlikely. So... It tells you, yes, you have it. If it's negative, I wouldn't then sit back and say, oh, we don't, you know, my daughter or my son doesn't have COVID-19 or I don't have COVID-19. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so unfortunately we can't rely too much on the accuracy, but again, if it's, if you come out positive, then you know, okay, that, that this is COVID. But it, realistically speaking, is this something that we should all be expecting to contract at some point? Cause obviously you said at the beginning, like, right, right now we are sort of ending this social isolation, this sort of quarantine that's going on. Things are starting to open back up. People are scared. Well, a lot of people are anxious to get back out and there's just a lot of uncertainty as far as, you know, should we be expecting to get it? If we do get it, should we be expecting it to be severe? Yeah, um, yeah great questions. Um, you know, we were, uh, you know, at least in the Bay Area, um, up until, you know, not too long ago, the expectation was that, that we would, you know, quote, reopen society, whatever that looked like on May 1. And then Governor Newsom announced we would be in the shelter at home um, with some caveats, a little loosening, at least through May 31. But, you know, around that time when uh, when we didn't know it was going to be May 31, we had the surge yeah. of anxiety. Oh, my gosh, what does that mean for us? Mm-hmm. If we go out, you know, we've been really safe at home, not seeing anybody. Um, or touching anybody. So what does that mean if we go out and society reopens? Um, You know, experts are anticipating that anywhere from 40% to maybe even up to 70% will contract COVID-19 by the time this pandemic is done. Now, I don't want that to instill fear in your hearts because, you know, we do know, right, that, that many people may be asymptomatic, meaning, you know, have it but not have symptoms, which is worrisome for, for being the ones who might transmit the disease unknowingly, right? right. Uh, which is why I, be, I do believe masks are important until we can get a better sense of things. Um, and then, you know, the vast majority, you know, 80% or more, you know, more in children, um, you know, 94% in children, um, even if you can track COVID and even if symptoms get, you know, more um, significant that you might need to end up in the hospital, they do well. Right. They come out of it. They 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 live. They don't have complications, no long term effects. Um, and that's where I think we need to be prepared because, you know, we still need to be vigilant about you know, really supporting our immune system as much as possible against what we know about SARS-CoV-2. Mm-hmm. Right. And there is increasing research on, you know, uh, and evidence on what what may be beneficial from that integrative sort of functional medicine standpoint. Um, so as we come out, you know, whatever that looks like, and it's going to look different in different states. I still want to caution people. It's not that once we're out, the pandemic is done. It's once we come out, how do we continue to keep ourselves as safe as possible, knowing that we are going to have more exposures? And how do we really give our bodies and our immune systems the best chance to fight off COVID-19 successfully, even if we get it? I think one of the important questions that people are wondering about is, really just the overall severity. Is it being overhyped? Is, are the statistics actually accurate? Are the projections uh, accurate as to the severity of this virus? Uh, if and maybe when we do get it, if we haven't had it already, there's a lot of talk about 
you know, a wave having gone through months ago. Mm -hmm. And I'm convinced that, you know, my family had it as well. So, you know, maybe you could speak to that a little bit from your medical opinion. Yep. You know, um, I do think that COVID-19 is um, much more um, contagious and, you know, is, is more serious than influenza. Yeah. Um, I do believe that. Now, that being said, you know, what are the accurate numbers? I mean, you know, there have been so many, um, I mean, I would call them blunders along the way without rolling out, you know, accurate testing, you know, widespread, and also without having a national effort, right? A unified effort among all states, not state by state, but among all states to test as many people as possible and really uh, collect all of the data, collect the symptoms. I mean, we're just learning this piecemeal. And the fact that, you know, here in the Bay Area, we're seeing this cluster maybe of these neuropsychiatric symptoms associated with COVID-19 in the UK and Italy, maybe Kawasaki disease. Well, it should be maybe not even just a national effort, but a global effort. I mean, this virus we we had never heard of before December. December 31, right, right of, of 2019. I mean, we have at this point less than five months, four and a half months of knowledge, information, data that was, you know, too slow in coming. Um, so what are the real numbers going to be? I don't know. I do suspect like you that, that many people have probably already had it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I am really holding my breath for accurate antibody testing to happen. That's the blood testing that will tell you if you've had it in the past. I think we will find that that there are more people who have had it who have been either asymptomatic or, or you know, with mild symptoms, which is sure. great news, right? Great news. But we, the fact remains, though, that there are, you know, I would say a significant number of people, children and adults, who when they do get sick with COVID-19, they are getting very sick and requiring more intensive care. Sure. Um, and that's, you know, that's what we want to prevent. Um, or I, I should say not prevent, but mitigate, right? Really, you know, as the research comes out, we'll, we are finding more and more that, you know, for instance, being intubated, being on a ventilator is probably not the best right. treatment option. That that giving high flow oxygen is a, provides much better outcomes. So we are learning more, but you know, really this information needs to get out. If one hospital is learning this information, they need to get it out far and wide to all the hospitals. Yeah. So we are still lacking um, that national effort, unfortunately. Hey guys, real quick, I know this is a tough time for a lot of us. There's a lot of anxiety, frustration, and fear around the economy and our ability to create a safe and stable future for our families. The stress is piling up and without our usual outlets like the gym, seeing our friends, and man, even just getting out of the house regularly, it's easy to get down on ourselves, stop moving so much, start eating and drinking more, and lose sight of the number one most important investment that we should be making right now and that's in our own health and fitness. Look, the only thing that we can truly control right now is our health, and really what better time is there to make yourself a priority? If you're ready to take back control of your health so that you can be the father, husband, partner, and leader you know you can be by having the energy, focus, drive, and resilience to thrive physically, mentally, and emotionally, then we need to chat. Just schedule your free nutrition strategy call over at bslnutrition.com forward slash level up, or you can find the link in the episode show notes below. I guarantee you'll walk away from our call with more clarity and confidence around exactly what action steps you can start taking today to build the personal foundation for long-term growth in every area of your life. I'll look forward to speaking with you and enjoy the rest of the show. What would the value be of antibody testing for those that suspect that they may have had it or be asymptomatic? So the value right now uh, would be if you test positive, there's two antibodies that well, there are three antibodies that are that are being tested by some labs. Um, I would say the most important antibody to get tested is what's called your IgG antibody. Your IgG antibody is the kind of antibody that increases sometime after you've had the infection for a while, and then typically stays elevated for for you know a while after you you've recovered. And that's what we call our memory antibody. Um, we believe that that antibody may confer 
immunity for future infections. Mm -hmm. The problem is because this virus is so new, we don't know at what point in the illness your IgG antibodies actually start to rise. Most people, I would recommend if you've been sick, I would wait at least four weeks after the illness, minimum two weeks after you've recovered to check your IgG antibodies. Mm -hmm. Because if you check sooner, your immune system may just not have made enough to be detected. Now, how long they last for, that's a million dollar question, right? right? You know, there have been cases of, you know, people in China who have tested positive, have IgG antibodies, but then sometime later they disappear. So really the question is in everyone's mind, are we immune once we get it, right? Yeah, you know, we right. don't know, but, but I, I would assume that, you know, like other viruses, um, you know, let's take influenza. If you've had it once during a season, you are very likely immune to that same virus for that season. If, mm -hmm, if COVID-19 right. yeah. comes back again in the winter, you know, we might not, that might not be the case. I mean, we may see mutations like we do in influenza every year. Um, but at least for now, I think the value would be is if you had IgG antibodies, you can be more comfortable, more secure, you know, feel, feel a little safer going out into community, you know, as, as society reopens. Um, that being said, I still would wear a mask, you know, until we're, we know more. I still would wash, wash, wash with warm soap and water and really avoid touching your face. You know, that's just common sense. And, and the primary benefit of the masks, to be clear, is really to prevent if you are symptomatic or you're harboring the virus asymptomatically from spreading it to someone else. That is 100% correct. Because unless you are wearing an N95 mask, right, that's fitted to you in the hospitals, um, you know, uh, the, a mask, like a surgical mask, or, yeah. you know, in, in the Bay Area that uh, the health department has requested, it's actually an order that everyone, when they go out to essential services, they wear, they call it, they're calling it a face covering. It doesn't have to be a surgical mask. Got it. I mean, I have, you know, I have a surgical mask, you know, right here yeah. that, you know, that I demonstrate to parents how to put on and off because you don't want to touch your face while too much while you're doing it. Uh, but it can be a, banda a bandana. It can be one of those ski, you know, hoodies, those, sure. you know, uh, turtlenecks that you wear. But the primary goal is to protect others from you, right? You know, there's that, uh, a beautiful video that had been going around, I think from the Czech Republic, you know, where this, uh, young woman, is wearing a mask and saying, I protect you, you protect me. And that's yeah. really what it is because, you know, as we cough or talk and we, you know, spew out some of those you know, respiratory droplets, if we're potentially sick with COVID-19 um, and, you know, the studies right now, there was a recent study showing that we likely are the most contagious. Um, we have the most particles to kind of spread um, the day or two before we get symptoms, which is similar mm -hmm. to influenza, right. right? So even before we get sick, if we're harboring it, it's really to protect those who are vulnerable for really serious outcomes like the elderly, you know, with chronic health conditions. No, that, that's good to hear. I mean, I, it's definitely a social responsibility thing. And like I said, it's, it's good to hear you say that. I think from, from a lot of our perspectives, um, especially if we're young and healthy, we think, well, either I've already had it. I remember in February when I was super sick and maybe that was it, or I don't need to worry about it because I do take care of myself and I'm not overweight and I do exercise and I eat healthy. Therefore, if I do get it, I'm not terribly concerned, but really it's, it's a social responsibility for other people. That's right. You know, there's a lot of people, a lot of parents uh, that are concerned right now. And I think a lot of people are sort of waiting and wondering if they should just kind of be laying low and waiting for a vaccine to be developed to, uh, you know, to be the answer. And yeah. I, I'd love to hear your insight on that. And then I'd like to transition into how we can actually support our immune system in the time being naturally and moving forward, period, regardless of uh, you know, COVID-19. Yeah. You know, and I, I love that, that you say regardless of COVID-19, because in this, in this way, you know, as we're realizing that um, the people who are more at risk for serious complications and dying from COVID-19, it really, you know, in the elderly, it, it is those people who have one, two, three or more chronic health conditions that are really lifestyle related, right? Heart disease, diabetes, yeah. uh, metabolic syndrome. Um, so, so we want to really take this opportunity, you know, as, you know, adults, as children, as parents to learn what 
a healthy lifestyle is to optimize our immune system, our brain health, whatever it is. But this is the time to make it happen, right? <laughs> you know, because COVID-19 yes. is, is, is here, but in the future, it may be something else. Um, but in terms of, you know, what that means as far as, um, you know, as we go out, should we be concerned? Um, you know, I, I, I will admit I am a bit um, anxious about opening up, you know, quickly. Um, at the same time, we can't sustain this way of living. No. You know, we can't sustain this economically. Um, we can't sustain this emotionally and psychologically. I mean, we are social beings. And, you know, honestly, you know, yes, you know, Zoom, you know, happy hours and play dates, they're, they're great, right? <laughs> yeah, we want to stay connected, right? But we got to get these do kids it, out right? of here. Yes. I mean, kids have to move and, you know, it's, it's, you know, my, our neighbors across the way, you know, they, uh, they have kids the same age as Kenzie and Bodie. And, um, you know, they, they, we used to, they used to run around back and forth to each other's houses every afternoon. Yes. And so now they're kind of waving to each other and, you know, they're setting chairs across the road from each other, but it's not the same. It's really no. not the same. So, you know, we are social beings. We need to, you know, for our, our own health. I mean, and there are some reports too that, you know, for some, you know, being in isolation, right? Because we don't want to call it social isolation. It's really physical distancing, but sure. the social isolation has is way more harmful potentially, <laughs> Right. And some people yeah. are not moving. I mean, the, the people who follow you, Ben, I mean, they're so they're healthy, right? They're, they're following you because they want to be you, right? They want to be vibrant and healthy, right? Um, but I mean, I have people, I, I know patients who literally in the past six weeks of being at shelter home have not left their homes. And right. that is not okay. You know, people who are, have taken like 93 steps in a day and that's not okay. Yeah. So, so we need to, we need to somehow roll out, but as we roll out, you know, I do think that, you know, again, you know, if we have this knowledge of how to support our, our immune systems, um, we can roll out with more, more security, you know, not be as worried about serious complications. Um, so, but, and as we roll out, I, you know, I, please, I, I encourage you to do it carefully and slowly and cautiously. You know, the first day shelter at home is lifted. Do not have a block party. <laughs> right. you know, just, you know, have you get together maybe with a friend that, you know, has also been careful at home, you know, with, with their kids and, um, you know, maybe a family or two and just gradually, you know, as we can really be be comfortable that as a society, we are still taking precautions. You know, we're still, you know, keeping our hands clean and, you know, really well, covering our cough really well, you, right? I mean, with that said, let's be realistic here. Do you anticipate a resurgence in COVID-19 cases as we open up? I do, unfortunately. I mean, I do. I, I don't I don't anticipate the huge surge that we had, yeah. like in New York, you know, in yeah. January, February, but we will start to see um, some increasing numbers. I mean, you know, in, in California, at any rate, I mean, as things have been loosened up, and there was just a report of um, an article of a, um, I think it was in Encinitas, um, you know, a restaurant owner who just decided to open up and, you know, have in restaurant dining against the um, stay-at-home orders um, and people flocked to it. I think people are hungry to get out. Of course. Right. Um, so, but with that, I, I, you know, and as people are being less careful, like the beaches in Southern California, <laughs> you know, when, when we had that heat wave uh, last week, um, we are seeing some slight increases in numbers yeah. after we had seen in California a steady decline every week. So I think we're going to start to see more cases. I don't think we're going to have this deluge of, you know, this huge surge of cases, but we are going to see more cases. I think that it's really important to not, I don't think this is something to be scared about. I think that's something to use as an opportunity for personal growth, you know, immune system support and really look at it as like, okay, I mean, this is happening. This is going to happen. Uh, if I haven't had it already, there's a strong chance that I will. And that doesn't, you know, that doesn't need to be something scary. But if you're someone that's listening and you know that there likely are things that you could be doing to support your immune system to the degree that if and when you do get sick, period, whether or not it's COVID-19 or not, you know, you want to be in the best possible condition for your body to be able to fight off that virus. And so, I, I mean, that's obviously such a grandiose topic in terms of all of the different ways that we can support our immune system, but maybe we could just dive into a few that you think are really relevant right now as things are opening up um, with respect yeah. to, you, you know, you tell us, I mean, what, yeah. what can we be doing right now? 
Um, I think that's a, a really um, good point because, you know, as the pandemic was starting to come out, of course, I mean, we saw all these articles, get your sleep, eat your rainbow of colors, you know, get exercise. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what people have been saying for years, right? right. But, but why specifically to SARS-CoV-2, right? Why specifically mm. to this pandemic? And that's where I did it you know, poured my heart and soul into getting all the research out, you know, not just um, for my patients and for the, you know, our public community, but also for me and my family, right? You know, I mean, this was really, it was, I had everything invested in making sure I got accurate data, good information out. Um, you know, when I published my first article on COVID-19, you know, it was COVID-19, a, a, uh, what a pediatrician wants you to know, and I put it on my blog. I mean, it was February 28th was when I published it. And I know that day because I was in San Diego for a conference, the last conference I'll probably be to for a while <laughs> in mm -hmm. person. Um, and I had to, like buried my head, you know, in books and, and um, you know, well, virtual books, right, online and research um, and, and wrote this article. And it was really one of the first articles comprehensive with all the research and, you know, like 50 references um, to come out. And I mean, within a couple of days, it had had a million views. I mean, people were so hungry for that information. And so, you know, with all that research now, as I continue to do the research, uh, we're, uh, what we found uh, with, with SARS-CoV-2, and this is where I want people to feel empowered, right? Because we have some knowledge that we can take with us and not just say, oh, now I little, know a little bit more about SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19, but yes, I know a little bit more. And here are the practical actual items I can take, right, the steps I can take to keep me and my family a little bit more protected. So we know that SARS-CoV-2, the, the coronavirus that's circulating right now, attaches to a protein on certain cell membranes called ACE2. So it's on, attached to you know, cell membranes, mm -hmm. and the coronavirus comes along, attaches to that protein, and then is allowed to enter into our cells and multiply. Now, Initially, when this mechanism was, was elucidated, uh, there was a lot of speculation that, oh, we don't want to increase ACE2 you know, at, at all. And many people might have heard of ACE2 by now in the news. Um, and there was concerns that you know, vitamin D might increase ACE2 or you know, um, uh, certain medications might increase ACE2, like diabetes medications or heart, uh, blood pressure medications. Well, what we're finding now is that ACE2, it's kind of a... It's, um, it's not so simple. There's ACE2 proteins that are attached to cells. We don't want more of that, right? We don't want more entry points for the SARS-CoV-2 virus into our cells. But we also have a lot of circulating ACE2 in our blood, right? And kids tend to have more ACE2 in their blood, which is why some people think maybe kids have milder outcomes because this circulating ACE2 in our blood is protective for heart disease, you know, diabetes, kidney disease, which, and interestingly, uh, some research now is finding that adults who have heart disease and kidney disease um, and are on these ACE2 blockers seem to be doing better than those patients who have those same diseases but are not on ACE2 blockers. Why? Because ACE2 blockers create more circulating ACE2. Mm -hmm. So um, ACE2 in your bloodstream, they're finding can act as a decoy confuse SARS-CoV-2 so it attaches to the free-floating ACE2, not to the ACE2 on your cell membranes, right? Uh, so, you know, how do we then increase serum ACE2, right? That's, that I think is one of the keys. So that even if you get exposed to, you know, the coronavirus and it is, uh, it enters into your body, into your bloodstream, if that virus can then attach to the circulating serum ACE2 and get disposed of, before it enters your cells, we're gonna be able to decrease the amount of virus that you get sick with, right? Mm -hmm. And so the ways that we can do that, there are some great lifestyle ways. Yes, there's a medication, but most people aren't gonna have access to that medication, it's, it's experimental. Um, but one of the number one things, aerobic exercise, right? So this is where, you know, not staying at home, right? Yes. Really getting out, getting fresh air, moving your body, do it with your family, go for bike rides. Yes, maintain that physical distancing, but get out there and, you know, get your heart rate going. Um, what was interesting, you know, there was a study looking at what kind of exercise and they actually found that, you know, whether you did high intensity interval training or you did moderate intensity, you know, 
consistent exercise, it was about the same, right? So you don't have to overdo it. And in fact, I don't want people overdoing it and really exerting themselves too much. Um, you know, we're not, uh, you know, you're not training for an Ironman right, right now because overdoing it can increase inflammation, right? But you know, mm. daily exercise. What else could increase ACE2? Sleep right? Melatonin, our sleep hormone, so protective. So making sure, and that's another theory on why children seem to have better outcomes is because children seem to have higher melatonin levels than adults. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the number one vitamin, the number one that I, I recommend um, for everyone during the cold and flu season, but especially right now uh, during COVID-19 is vitamin D. Vitamin D can increase our serum ACE levels. Vitamin D also um, can, uh, support our immune system if we get sick and reduce our risk of getting sepsis, right? And landing in the ICU. And there are, there are two new studies that came out showing that uh, when they looked at patients who were hospitalized and they measured their vitamin D levels, patients who had um, normal vitamin D levels had much better outcomes yeah. than patients who had low vitamin D levels. Um, you know, for us, right, you're in Arizona, I'm in California, the days are getting longer, the, the sun's mm. getting stronger and warmer. We can get vitamin D through, through our skin, you know, through skin conversion, uh, just by being out and about, you know, during the midday. But, um, but unfortunately, most people, uh, at least the kids that I measure and adult doctors are finding this too, most kids and adults, even in the middle of the summer, don't have optimal vitamin D levels. So very often, um, I'm recommending that, uh, that people take extra vitamin D. Yeah, I saw that study. That was uh, really interesting with respect to the vitamin D. And I do know that working with hundreds of patients over the years that a lot of people, and, and I'm in Arizona, you know, it's 100, 100 degrees today. And then oh some, yeah, yeah, it's uh, brutally hot already, uh, but people are just uh, chronically low by yes. virtue of other n- nutritional imbalances and as well as just every time they're outside, sunglasses on, hat on, sunscreen on. So sunscreen, I think it's important yep. to get sun, uh, sunlight on your skin without sunscreen for a period of time to be able yeah. to manufacture that vitamin D. But those are really great sleep, obviously. Aerobic exercise, I love that. A lot of the things that I talk to clients about uh, just in general is sort of that zone two heart rate training. So like mm-hmm. 165 to 170, uh, excuse me, 65 to 75% of perceived max heart rate, um, which is relatively low intensity. It's sort of uh, at the upper end of a conversational pace, which is so easy for people to get and so valuable. It's valuable from an aerobic capacity standpoint. It's valuable from a fat loss standpoint and calorie burning and, and just from a stress management, it's very parasympathetic which is so great, you know, things to help us manage so these kids that are driving us yeah. crazy every <laughs> single day. Get out. My wife and I got out with the kids were still sleeping this morning, got a quick walk in, really can ground you for the day. So that's super great. Hey guys, real quickly, I want to talk to you about my nutrition company, BSL Nutrition, and our all-in-one training drink called Complete Essentials. This is a comprehensive exercise formula that I personally created after experiencing years of frustration, working with hundreds of individuals and athletes that were not getting the nutrition that they needed before, during, and after their workouts. After using numerous workout powders that were low quality, overpriced, chock full of caffeine and artificial sweeteners and were flat out useless, I said enough is enough and figured out how to create a nutritionally dense, comprehensive, and high quality product with ingredients that you can feel good about taking and giving to your family. When you use Complete Essentials, you'll no longer need pre, during, and post-workout supplements. You'll save time, money, and energy and get all of the beneficial nutrients you need in one delicious, easy-to-mix drink. It's just the ingredients that you need to give you great natural energy, improve your recovery, and reduce your muscle soreness with no caffeine or artificial sweeteners. You can learn more about our complete essentials at bslnutritionshop.com and check out the show notes below for a nice little discount on your first purchase as my way of saying thank you for listening. That's it. Let's head back to the show. The masterclass was phenomenal. I mean, you give away so much incredible information in the masterclass, but you've also have something else that's available for people. Um, Could you talk about that? Yeah. But, you know, I want to step back just for a moment and you mentioned stress and parasympathetic, and that is so 
So key. I want to tell everyone, I mean, even if you've really, you know, kind of put mind body medicine, stress management on the back burner, uh, this is, I, I believe is one of the most important things we can do during this pandemic to strengthen our immune systems and get us through infections, um, you know, whatever infections, but especially COVID-19 uh, in, in uh, a healthier way with fewer complications. So key because we know that stress creates as much inflammation as any, yeah. you know, toxin in our body, any infection in our body. And I will tell you from Bodhi, you know, I could know exactly what his oxygen levels were doing because I had a pulse oximeter mm -hmm. that measures blood oxygen levels at home. And when he was in the hospital, he was 24 seven on a pulse oximeter. When I would get stressed, he would get stressed. We mm -hmm. would work each other up yeah. and then his oxygen levels dropped like three, four, five points sometimes. And then I would have to do everything I could to you know, pull myself together and we would do our breathing meditations, right? We would say some healing mantras. We would get back into that parasympathetic. And if you're an athlete, you know, this is sports psychology, right? Getting into that yeah. zone, getting into that state where you have optimal heart rate variability, right? Use your aura ring, you know, and find that out. But these are all ways that, you know, we do in different ways in different areas. And it doesn't have to be so sound woo-woo, but this is so important because when we could get back into that state of optimal heart rate variability, do our breath work, do some guided meditations, immediately, within seconds, Bodhi's heart oxygen saturations will climb back up, sometimes into the normal range that he wasn't even in before we did yeah. this. Yeah, I mean, that's huge. And just understanding the role that stress plays on suppressing our immune system. And, and that's just perceived stressors to say nothing yeah. of the fact that, you know, if we're, uh, you know, drinking a lot of alcohol, eating a lot of sugar, eating junk food while we're sitting around in quarantine, just sitting around all the time in quarantine, watching yes. shows that um, late at night that get us, uh, you know, ramped up or stimu yeah. overly stimulated. All of that stuff is is really relevant. I mean, you can you can do all the supplements you want, but if you're not taking care of that foundational stuff, then potentially wasting your time and money and not doing anything. So true. Uh, Mom had told me that kind of made this comment a long time ago, and it and it stuck. I mean, you can't out supplement a bad diet and lifestyle. Yeah. You know, you can't think that you can just pop as many pills as you want to, and that's going to achieve the same level of optimal health as actually getting out there and doing it, right? You know, moving your body and eating the right foods. Well, we've had a lot of time here to, you know, a lot of people, and I've been talking about this for weeks now on the show and interviewing people. I know a lot of We've given you a lot of resources to be able to do it. So hopefully you've implemented some of these. If you haven't, you know, it's certainly not too late. Now is the time to do yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so it's never too late. So, so I can, I'll share with you the resources that, that um, I put together because I want, you know, whether you're a parent or not, um, you know, I, I as a pediatrician and as a mom, I mean, that's how I kind of frame things, but everything that I have been recommending is completely relevant for adults because Peter and I are doing this, right? Mm -hmm. My husband and I were on the, uh, on the same regimen, just slightly different, you know, amounts of supplements and, you know, different ways that we do it. Yes. Um, but um, the first place that I would go just to read, I mean, I, I want to get out as much free information as possible. So if you go to my healthykidshappykids.com um, website and blog, um, tons of articles on COVID-19 and my sort of functional medicine integrative um, strategies and approaches with a ton of resources and evidence because I want to make sure that whatever I am saying, putting out there, recommending has good solid evidence for what's going on right now. Um, and then I also put together a, um, a masterclass, a totally free um, it's, um, it's my holistic pediatrician's guide to the pandemic, um, how to support your immune system and what to do if you get sick with some really, um, practical, again, my, my goal is to be practical, actionable, you know, have really, um, you know, have you come away with, with doable items so that you can have, uh, have, um, calm <laughs> and be prepared. And so that masterclass I taught live. Um, last week, you know, as we are talking right now, uh, and we and I was going to pull it down, but you know, so many people wanted to keep it as a resource, so it's up there. I'm not going to pull it down at all. Um, it's there for anybody who wants. It was, I mean, it, it it's a really in depth masterclass. The masterclass was was really valuable. Like I said, five step functional medicine strategy to protect ourselves as being one thing, but then also I think what was even more uh, potentially valuable is your approach for 
how to um, prepare if and when we do get sick and all yeah. of the things that we should be looking for. And I, I was really looking at this in retrospect as far as I'm, I'm convinced that it went through my family months ago in mid-February, I think. And my daughter, Zoe, my oldest, she's 10. And she kind of has, um, when she was nine months or so, she got um, croup really bad. And it sort of scarred her airways to the degree that every time she gets sick or when she was younger, it would settle in her respiratory system and she'd get you know, this respiratory distress. And she got really, really sick in February um, and started with vomiting and diarrhea and then progressed into on and off fever. And then again, respiratory, uh, you know, tons of coughing and respiratory distress. And I was really obviously so worried about what to do. And fortunately, I have such an amazing network of of incredible medical professionals around me in the area. So I was constantly checking in with them. I took her in um, to uh, holistic urgent care here. Doctor, do you know Dr. Becky Miller? I don't, um, but I love that you have a holistic urgent care. It's, she's awesome. incredible. And uh, we got her an IV. Um, we got her breathing treatments. And I mean, it was two weeks of, yeah. it was two weeks um, that the fever was on and off. And it was just constantly coming back to, okay, like as a parent, freaking out and like, should I take her to ER, urgent care? Does she need to be on antibiotics? What are we going to do? As I spoke to more clinicians, it was like, okay, let's just look at the facts and what's going on. Is she eating? Is she drinking? How Mm -hmm. severe is her temperature? How's her demeanor? Um, Is she sleeping? All of these types of things that kept me grounded. And these are all the things that you cover in the approach to how and how to treat it if and if and when they do get sick. Um, so I really appreciated that. Fortunately, Zoe was fine, but it was, I mean, it was a really significant illness. I, and I don't know if it was COVID-19 or not. I can only suspect it was based on her symptoms, but yeah, that would um, be, I mean, that would be great to know. And um, I, as, as we were talking about, even before, before we went online, I mean, we are suspecting now that COVID-19 has been around for, I mean, longer than we had suspected, right? Yeah. That, that one woman in, in the Bay Area um, who was, uh, had unidentified reasons for her death, they went back, the, the coroner was very suspicious and she was found to have had COVID-19. So it's very possible. I mean, that's where we, we just need more information. There. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> I jumped in there, but the, so the masterclass is incredible. And then you've got even uh, more, yeah. Modules. So the masterclass is, you know, I really want to provide that to everyone just to, you know, really um, get a deep understanding of how they can be prepared as we reopen society. Right. You know, so that you don't have to have that fear that I, I'm just a sitting duck yeah. waiting for this to happen. Right. Because that's that's the, the worst thing. Right. The um, the biggest thing that instills fear is the unknown and not knowing what to do. <laughs> right. So these are, you know, uh, so I provide the masterclass. And then after that, for people who really wanted more support, um, I created an online program. So three modules that were live on uh, this just past Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, but recorded. So two, two and a half hour um, modules where we dive really into module one was the foundations of that optimal immune health during the pandemic, which I go over in the masterclass, but this is really much more in depth with, you know, different supplements, all the dosages that I, that I discuss, um, you know, a lot more strategies on uh, prevention and supporting our immune systems. Module two is what to do right away when you get sick. You know, the, the supplements that I would recommend starting right away, what to look for, when to go to the ER, when to call the doctor, when medications or oxygen might be needed. Uh, and then the last module is um, what I love to teach is really how to manage the most common symptoms of COVID-19 using your integrative medicine toolkit. So I teach families how to use um, uh, herbal medicine, homeopathic medicines, essential oils, acupressure points to manage. Well, what we discussed in the modules were, you know, fever, flu-like symptoms, cough, sore throat, headache, 
nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea, yeah. um, and you know the, the hallucinations, the, the neuropsychiatric symptoms. So, and also exactly when you should call your doctor because you know I don't want you at home worried and sick about your child. We yeah. there is a time and a place to call your doctor, or even go to the ER. But you know, I just want to give parents more tools as they're coming out if they want those tools, if they feel like they need those tools um, to have that online, you know, resource with handouts and cheat sheets so that you can just come away, uh, you know, feeling like, okay, if and when this happens, I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to stay calm. I'm going to know what to do. Well, we have to be prepared for it and we have to be proactive about it. And, you know, there's no use in sitting back, waiting for something to happen, being scared and living in fear Mm -hmm. all the time, which is where a lot of people are. And so you need to take the steps to arm yourself uh, with the knowledge of what to do. Uh, when it happens and how to take care of your family. Yeah. And uh, that's at least my perspective. And if you're listening to it, it's likely your perspective as well, which is why you're probably listening to this show and, and listening to all the incredible information from uh, Dr. Elisa Song. So thank you so much for your time. I'll have all of those resources in the show notes below. Um, I can't think of a better guide to, you know, the time that we're in right now to be <laughs> fully equipped and ready to tackle whatever comes at us moving forward, Dr. Elisa. So thank you so much. You provided this in your masterclass, and I'm going to extend the love and the gratitude right back to you with an affirmation and say, may you feel safe, may you feel happy, may you feel healthy, and may you live with ease. I'm forever grateful of your time and knowledge and wisdom, so thank you. Oh, thank you, Ben, for having me. And I'm so grateful for this opportunity to share this with your, your audience. So well, you're, you're I hope doing, you guys. <laughs> you're doing just great work. Oh, thank you. Well, you are awesome. Um, I'm so grateful that we met, what, six uh, years ago? Four or five. Ago? Yeah, five, like that, six right? years ago. Um, and, and I just, I, you know, I love you from the first and you're a dad and you're just an awesome human being. So I'm um, so grateful for your work and um, have a great, great rest of the day. Well, thank you for everything that you're doing and we will catch up soon. Take care. All the best to you and your family. Did you love this episode of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple show? Then head on over to iTunes, subscribe and leave a positive rating and review. And more importantly, share this with other men that you know are dedicated to leveling up in every area of their life by learning how to live healthier, more energetic and productive lives so that they can optimize their health for their family and future. Thank you for listening. And if you want to find out more about how you can work directly with Ben, then just head on over to www.bslnutrition.com forward slash level up.